Hi, I'm Walt Woodward, state historian for Grading the Nutmeg. In 1938, architect and founder of the Hillstead Museum, Theodate Pope Riddle of Farmington, enjoyed an excursion through Europe. While in London, she participated in three sittings with trance mediums, continuing an avocational interest in spiritualism that lasted 34 years. Hear more about Riddle's efforts to scientifically prove the ability to communicate with the deceased in this episode hosted by Mary Donahue, assistant publisher of Connecticut Explored, and Melanie Bourbeau, curator and director of interpretation and programs at the Hillstead Museum. It's an entrancing look at spiritualism coming up now on Grading the Nutmeg. I'm Mary Donahue for Grading the Nutmeg. I have to admit, on today's topic, spiritualism, I'm a skeptic, but maybe my guest will change my mind. Melanie Bourbeau is the curator at the Hillstead Museum. She has worked there since 1998. In addition to overseeing all aspects of collections, care, stewardship, and exhibition, she also manages the museum's extensive archives. So welcome to the podcast. Thanks. It's great to be here, Mary. I have been to the Hillstead and it is just stunning, but I want you to tell our listeners a little bit about what they'll see when they come up that long driveway. So Hillstead is a 1901 colonial revival mansion house. It uh, was designed by Theodate Pope, the only child of an iron industrialist who had relocated from Cleveland. And she was very, very interested in the colonial revival movement and designed the home to look like the New England vernacular connected house and barn, but on a much grander scale. So when a visitor enters, what they see is essentially what this home had looked like for the nearly 50 years that the Pope and later um, Riddle families, Theodate and her husband, John Riddle, you know, how it had looked when they lived there. She wrote her will very specifically that nothing was to leave. All the artwork that her father collected was to stay. Um, Nothing was ever to be sold. Nothing was ever to be added to the collection. And so we show today and have been showing since we opened in the 1947 are 19 of the 36 rooms, um, the, the, essentially the 19 family rooms. The others were the servants' quarters where the staff offices are today. But the house is full of French Impressionist artwork and a world culture of decorative arts that Alfred Pope had amassed over a several-year period of collecting. And it really is a testament to his his aesthetic eye and his eclectic sensibility. And while Theodate herself was not a collector, she had an immense appreciation for what her father was drawn to and essentially designed the house to be a showplace for the several Claude Monet paintings, Edward Manet, Edgar Degas, Mary Cassatt, James McNeil Whistler, and then an array of decorative arts that spans England, Asia, Europe, South America, you know, ceramic, silver, boxes galore, furniture, basically everything you can possibly imagine. So it's on this beautiful hill. So you're overlooking her working farm, which was one of her hobbies and things that she was interested in. And then just share a little bit about how she became recognized as an architect. Well, she did not study formally. 
And architecture came to her through a conversation with her father when she was bemoaning, you know, what do I do now that my studies are over when she finished her her classwork at Miss Porter's school in Farmington. And architecture was only one of several suggestions he made. So initially, she was a complete novice, totally untrained. And that's where she was when Hillstead was designed. That was her very first project, um, an immense project for a novice. Initially, a lot of her projects came through family or friendship connections. So her her second project, um, several years after Hillstead, was Westover School in Middlebury, Connecticut. And it helped that one of her very closest friends was the founder of the school, Mary Hillard. And of course, the financial backers were her father and one of his close business associates who was based in Naugatuck. And then other, her very small body of work in, in many respects came through these very tight connections that she had. But eventually, she set herself up with an architecture office in New York City and became licensed in New York State in 1916. In 1918, she applied and received recognition by the American Institute of Architects. And in their official listing of the females, she is number five in the lineup. Connecticut did not begin licensing architects until 1933. So any of her Connecticut projects, including her final project of Avon Old Farm School, you know, she just did those because she could. But in 1933, anybody who was not licensed was just simply grandfathered in. And she is the sixth female in the listing, but her her registration number is 247. Wow. You know, she is an example of a very well-educated, sophisticated, well-traveled individual. And so reading your article about her interest in spiritualism that's in the winter issue, winter 2020 issue of Connecticut Explored, kind of fascinated me because I kind of come from a little bit of a skeptical background. So let's talk about her interest in spiritualism. What's the difference between spiritualism and psychic research? So spiritualism is, in a, in a nutshell, the belief that there is an afterlife and that the dead are able to communicate with the living. And that is that encompasses the popular notion of exploring the occult. Psychical research is a term that was devised by the science, the group of scientists and psychologists in the late 19th century who were interested in the science and or the scientific method behind spiritualism of how to go about studying the occult. This was a brand new field and they coined this term psychical research. So it's that they're two different but related things. And part of what makes Theodate's story so interesting is that she was interested in both of them and pretty involved in both of them. She had the money to really invest in the research side of it. I know spiritualism had a lot of uh, I would say kind of con men, phonies associated with it over the decades. But she was very interested in proving that it existed or that you could communicate with those that had died. Can you tell me a little bit about how she might have become interested in that? 
Well, so what we know from her diaries, and she kept diaries for just a relatively short period of her life from about 1886 until 1903. But in 1900, she wrote, so the only like written evidence that is in her diaries um, are two very short passages. One is from October 17th, 1900. And she wrote, And all the time at odd moments, I am busy reading the proceedings of the SPR, which stands for the Society for Psychical Research. I carry one of the little blue books and read them with the most intense interest. I like Mrs. Sidgwick's article on Mrs. Piper. So I take this, clearly she's been interested in some time to have you know, investigated and delved into that British society and seek out the writings. But this is the first written evidence in her diary that she's doing so. And then the following month, November 27, 1900, I have been sitting around this morning reading Phantasms of the Living. And Phantasms of the Living was a book by Edmund Gurney, Frederick W.H. Myers, and Frank Podmore, published in London in 1886 under the auspices of the Society for Psychical Research, Reports of Telepathy, Dreams, etc. So it was such a popular movement and notion. I mean, like anybody who's anybody that we've ever heard of, Mark Twain, for instance, Samuel Clemens was very interested in the movement. So it's not surprising that Theodate was interested in it. We don't know what specifically led her down this more scholarly route, if you will, except that she ended up there. In the magazine article, you talk about how a seance works. Tell us a little bit about that. So it's not you know, according to, you know, the literature, it's not, you know, the, like the popular notion of the dark room and the candles and, you know, the kind of that spooky supernatural thing that we all have in our mind's eye. They apparently took place and, and Theodate wrote about this, that they, they, at least the seances and the sittings with trance mediums that she was a part of, they took place in the morning so that it was bright daylight the shades were the shades were up the curtains were open so that there was you know no chance for anything awry happening it was all done in a it's like a super controlled environment and this is what psychical research was all about it was putting these controls around what they were doing so that you know they there was there was no chance for something untoward happening so for instance the the trans medium that theodate met with most often never actually knew who she was conducting these sittings for According to Theodate's notes, every everybody who entered the room was introduced as either Miss or Mr. Smith. So there was it was anonymous. And there was always somebody who was transcribing and taking notes about what was happening so that it was recorded to the best of their abilities. And then did she ever feel like she contacted anyone? Well, she, you know, according to what we have in our archives at the museum. And, and what we have are the transcriptions of many of these sittings with trans mediums. So if you believe, then yes. Um, and I, I reading through several of them while I, or excerpts of several of them while I was working on the article over the summer, I can't decide, did she really believe 
or not. I encountered several passages where there's, it seems like there's a fair amount of skepticism. But for instance, like one of her, her first initial sittings were with a very close friend of hers. And they were embarking on these sittings because the much younger brother of this close friend had died unexpectedly from typhoid fever. And it was recommended that perhaps Theodate and her friend would like, should sh- they should take advantage of going to see this trans medium and seeing if they could contact this brother. And it took quite a while before they made what can be assumed to be definitive contact in the tran- as the transcripts are written. But there was an awful lot of back and forth and, you know, nonsensical communication before they got to that point. And then Theodate's verbal comments to the medium, or actually, and I should say the medium's control because the medium is in a trance and that individual kind of takes on the persona of this other spirit who's like the intermediary. And so there's a lot of questioning back and forth, but I think eventually Theodate and her friend come to the conclusion that they have in fact contacted this brother. And that was in the early 1900s. And then, you know, Theodate was interested in this movement throughout her life and didn't engage in it actively continuously. There were definitely large periods of time, decades, in fact, when she maybe was not involved because she was busy with her life and doing other things. But in the late 1930s, another series of transcripts with transmediums you know, we have those. And so it's clear that she's kind of gone back to it. And in one of those, she apparently makes there, there's some degree of contact with her father and the first of the children that she took in as her legal wards. And the, the, honestly, the first time I read it, it gave me goosebumps because her father died in 1913 and the first of these little boys didn't come into her life until 1914. So they had they had clearly, there was no conceivable way in the earthly world that they could have ever known each other. And yet, according to you know what the control was relating to the, via the trans medium, they were together in some form or fashion in the afterlife, as if Alfred Pope was looking out for this young boy, Gordon Brockway. So I guess it just depends how you... You know, you have to put some of yourself in there, I think, to interpret these these transcripts. And there are people who absolutely believe it. And, you know, then those who are like, yeah, but <laughs> so, you know, in some ways she did. And but then there were people that she never got any or, or it took a long, long time before she made any contact with her. One of her grandparents was one of them in particular that she was, she, she was a little befuddled about, you know, well, if I was so close to my paternal grandmother. How come I haven't heard from her? Eventually a trans medium or a control uh, referred to Theodate by the nickname that this particular grandmother had always called her. And I guess that pleased Theodate very much is what I, what I can interpret from what I read. More with our guest after this message. I want to give our listeners that recently completed the Connecticut Explored Reader Survey a big thank you. We learned a lot more about what you'd like to hear on the podcast. You can make a friend's gift to Friends of Connecticut Explored and use the coupon code GRADINGTHENUTMEG to have your gift support the podcast. 
All gifts with this coupon code will be shared with the Office of State Historian to support its outreach efforts. Go to ConnecticutExplored.org to make your donation. Now back to my guest. Now, what's the difference between the transmedium and the control? So the way Theodate described these sittings happening, the, the medium, the person who conducts the seance, essentially, goes into a trance, and then that person's mind is able to make contact with this other spirit in the beyond. And so it's like you never, the way Theodate described this happening is that the tran, you were the trans medium, you were never speaking directly with the spirit you wanted to contact. There was always this intermediary spirit who was speaking in the voice of the friend's brother or the voice or communicating about Alfred Pope and this young boy. So there was never this one-on-one communication. It was, there was always like kind of this, this other um, intermediary step in between, if that makes sense. So I guess it would, that, I guess it, it makes sense that these people would be few and far between because she has some discussion about visiting different mediums and how accurate she thinks they are or how much, I guess, talent or ability to contact the the beyond yeah and that was the thing that the 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 scientists the psychologists and scientists who were studying these transmediums that was what that was their point they were trying to either prove or disprove that these mediums really were doing what they were claiming to do so so the notes that i have from my colleagues um talk about spiritualism say that Sir Oliver Lodge, who prepared fanatically for the, quote, test of Mrs. Lenora Piper, one of the famed mediums, replaced his entire household staff, went through her luggage when she arrived, read all her mail before they were given to her, monitored all her conversation, tested her trance state by pricking her with pins, burning her arm with a match, and other such matters. Wow. Just, just to, you know, try to elicit, a, so like the pinpricking and the, the burning, which sounds horrific, but it was to try to elicit a response that anybody would say, hey, stop that, you know, or ouch. Um, and, and so this Lenora Piper was, if there was going to be a trans medium who really knew her thing and really could do this, she was it. And William James the um, novelist, Henry James' brother, was someone who Theodate got to know. And he met Mrs. Piper kind of by a fluke through um, a sitting that his mother-in-law had gone to, but he became quite fascinated with her and spent tremendous amounts of time studying her, trying to prove that, really trying to debunk her. And Never really could, but it wasn't like a hundred percent definitive that she could really do what she was doing either. But he could never prove that she wasn't doing it. On the other hand, now she's someone you've got illustrations in the magazine article about something called automatic writing. So right about that. Right. So apparently, what would happen? And again, this is all according to these extremely detailed notes that Theodate wrote about. You know what these sittings were like is that she would once she would get into her 
like so the setup would be it's again it's not really what we imagine of this big round table with the black cloth and everybody sitting around holding hands it was you know she was seated seated at a at a small table and she had another small table next to her that was a little bit lower and when she would get into a trance state she would drop her head onto a pillow that was on the table and then um, whoever was conducting the seance or the, the sitting would put a pencil into her hand and there was a stack of paper nearby. And as she was getting her communications, she would begin to write or make notations or marks that are reflective of the, the messages that are being transmitted to her. So the illustration in the article is, and I think as I, if I recall right, it's like a three-part illustration, which is actually on three different pages of paper, you know, in these files in our archive of the name of one of the scientists who had a very untimely death while he was playing handball, but he had also said, you know, during our studies of Mrs. Piper, if I should die, you know, I will try to make contact through her. And Theodate and, you know, William James and all of the others realized, you know, as upset as they were at the death of their friend, this is the absolute perfect opportunity to really test, you know, can we make contact with him? So according to the automatic writing, you know, the spirit intermediary through Mrs. Piper's hand wrote his name. And, you know, it's, I guess it's everybody, everybody has to take that for themselves if they believe that. Seems like it's true, though. <laughs> so Theodate was somebody who, had, who was wealthy. She had inherited money. And in the late 1910s, she had created a $500,000 fund at Harvard to promote the advancement of human knowledge and psychical research. How did that go? That's an awful lot of money. It is an awful lot of money. It was, it was going well for a while, but when World War I kind of came into the picture, Essentially, the university put all their resources toward that. And kind of concurrently, Theodate wasn't entirely satisfied with the results that she was getting from the particular researcher that she had selected to, you know, fill this position. So I don't think we have any, what we have in our archive really is the correspondence back and forth between this individual and Theodate, not so much about his methods, not so much about actual results or findings, if you will. So what I can remember reading, I don't have those papers in front of me, but what I can remember from my research over the summer to write the article was that she didn't think he was putting enough human emotion and heart into his his work, um, you know, that she, I think she believed that there was a scientific component, but there was also a very strong emotional component as well. And she eventually felt that the emotional component was missing from what he was doing. And then with World War One intervening, it all just kind of fell apart and she withdrew her funding. And that was the end of that. Tell us about her really, talk about hair raising adventure on the Lusitania. Well, and so that story is so linked to spiritualism because spiritualism is why she was on board that ship to begin with. So she had been, she'd become pretty dissatisfied with the way 
the American Society for Psychical Research was operating, that she didn't think that they were, you know, following the best scientific protocols and didn't really agree with, um, you know, the management of the organization. And so she had a young protege named Edwin Friend, who she saw a lot of promise in. And she decided that the two of them needed to go over to England and meet with the organizers and the um, the managers of the the first Society for Psychical Research that was you know based in in London, Britain, I should say. And so her friend Edwin Friend made the reservations on the Lusitania, but that's that's what led them to be on that ship. And it's. It's interesting that, you know, these two really fascinating stories that are a part of her life are, are then linked together. You know, and they, you know, they knew from all the newspaper reports that there was an imminent threat, but they kept on with their plans and they went. And unfortunately, Edwin Friend perished. Theodate survived. Um, but Edwin's friend, Edwin Friend's wife was also a transmedium. And so there was some there was some attempt to contact Edwin Friend, and I forget at what point after 1915, it seems that there, there was a, a, a little bit of um, potential communication with him, if I'm remembering what I've looked at in the archives. So a little bit about the, her experience on the Lusitania. The Lusitania is a big ocean liner, like a Titanic type ocean mm -hmm. liner, right. and it's torpedoed. And then what right. happens to Theodate? Well, it's just like the movie Titanic. The, sh the ship, you know, it kind of upends itself because of the, the bowels of the ship filling with water. Theodate and is act there in the, she writes an incredibly detailed letter to her mother about being in the dining room with Edwin Friend, you know, at their, with their dining companions and they, they can, they kind of feel the jolt. They can tell the ship has been hit. Uh, there's this mad scramble looking for life jackets, um, kind of running up the decks, trying to find, you know, where's the best place to go? Where are the lifeboats? And then eventually, and because the, the um, I forget how long it took the Titanic to go down, but the Lusitania went down in something like 15 minutes. I mean, it was just like an unbelievably quick sinking. And so again, just like the scene from the Titanic movie, Theodate writes, you know, many weeks later about bobbing around in the water, um, you know, having got kind of gotten knocked on the head and kind of in and out of consciousness and kind of finding a piece of driftwood or an oar and clinging to that. And she is, is, practically given up for dead. Um, once the recovery gets underway, she is unconscious at the time and is thrown into a pile of bodies and assumed to have perished. But when a nurse is, you know, kind of doing like a final check, can see that there is still life in Theodate's body and they, they pull her aside. But it's a, it was an unbelievably traumatic episode in her life. And a you can only imagine what the recovery would have been like. She recovered for a short time in Ireland and then went on to France and later England. And so that took that that incident took place in early May. She didn't come home July, I believe. Um, so several months abroad recovering as best she can. And I can only imagine the trauma of getting back on another ship to sail home. Exactly. Now I know she stays interested in mediums and spiritualism 
through her life. Did she ever hold a seance at the Hillstead? No, many, many visitors ask about that, but she never did. Everything that she did, she would go up to the location in Boston where William James was doing his study of this medium Lenora Piper. So unfortunately, well, you know, Boston wasn't too far away, but she, so she, nothing ever took place at Hillstead, but she would, she would go to Boston. She um, saw mediums in England in the 1930s. There was someone that she met with in St. Louis, 20s, 30s, you know, in that period of time of her life. Now, I know that there's a large collection in her materials at the Hillstead about this topic. Just tell us what researchers could find at the Hillstead on this. So this topic comprises the largest single single subject volume of papers in our archive. Um, so we have not only the transcriptions of the sittings with the, the transmediums, which are handwritten, then typed, and Theodate's, you know, handwritten notes, you know, on some of the typed versions. Then we also have her handwritten notes kind of unrelated to the, the sittings, just, you know, notes in general about the process. And then all of her correspondence with all of the various people who were, who were involved in the psychical research, the scientists behind the study. Um, so correspondence with William James, correspondence with, you know, a number of the people in England who were also studying the movement, um, the people who came after William James studying Lenora Piper. Offhand, I can't think of the, the exact number of documents that we have, but it is quite sizable in comparison to just about anything else that we have. Several boxes, let's put it that way. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Riddle's final sittings were in London in 1938 with three different trans mediums, seemingly who were able to conjure her father, beloved godson Gordon, and other dear friends. She wrote in her 1937 memoir, quote, This may be of interest sometime if and when survival is proven to be a fact. For myself, I am inclined to believe that it will never be proven in the same manner that two and two make four. I am inclined to think part must still rest on faith. And if that we as individuals and nations suffer enough, we are bound to return to a deep faith, unquote. This has been Mary Donahue for Grading the Nutmeg. If you'd like to learn more about Theodate Pope Riddle and Spiritualism, visit the museum's website at https www.hillstead.org and read Borbeau's article in the winter 2020-21 issue of Connecticut Explored, the magazine of Connecticut history. Want a daily dose of Connecticut history? Subscribe to todayinCTHistory.com and follow Connecticut Explored on Facebook and Instagram.